is the third week of Advent. And the third week of Advent is joy. And you heard it a little bit, although you could hear a lot of things in the passage. You could hear it a little bit in the shepherds and the angels appearing and the joy that was expressed by those angels. Yesterday was my birthday, and uh, thank you. I, they already sang for me in pre-service prayer, so I feel fully sung. It's been expressed. Uh, but it was my birthday yesterday, and I had a very good birthday. Natasha throws a good birthday party, better than the ones I throw for her. And uh, so we actually, she kept the activity surprise. I knew we were doing something. It wasn't a surprise birthday party, but the activity was a surprise. I didn't know what we were doing, and we kept it a secret until I was driving into the parking lot. Even in the parking lot, I hardly knew what we were going to do that day, but it ended up that we were doing archery. And so I got to shoot arrows on my birthday, and I like events on my birthday. I like interesting things on my birthday, and so actually I really enjoyed it. And we had a big table filled with all my favorite snacks. And um, they even had like a, you ever been glow bowling where they do the black light thing? Well, they have that in archery. They, you can like have, it kind of sounds dangerous, doesn't like turn off the lights, strobe lights and arrows. But anyway, uh, they turn it back on when you have to go get your arrows so you don't poke your eye out with like an arrow sticking out of the walls. But um, yes, so we had glow bowling archery and uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, but the day wasn't filled with constant joy. When I look back and I was like, you know, it's yesterday, I'm thinking about the sermon, you know, and message for today, and it wasn't filled with constant joy. It was probably one of the better birthdays that I've ever had. But when I think about the day, you know, it's a pretty kind of relaxed day. Like, I'm not filled with, like, this joyous feeling inside as I go through the day. Even though I didn't have any work to do, and I was doing things that were enjoyable, and I had sugar and all kinds of things to try to kind of create joy in my brain, uh, I was still kind of pretty mellow and more peaceful through the day, not like exuberantly joyful like these angels in the sky that appeared over the shepherds. There were probably two joyous moments in the day. The first one was, now I came from a camp background, so I did quite a bit of archery, you know, here and there, not in a serious way, but you know, the uh, you know, the camp way, which is very much like what we were doing. I still have not shot a compound bow. I even asked, anyway, one day. Uh, I've only shot, shot like these kind of campish bows. But anyway, so I was, I'm like, it's not, I'm not new to it, so I can, you know, hit a target after I get my bearings again. And so they had this target, which was like a piece of a pool noodle, a uh, piece of very, so quite small, you know, I don't know, two and a half inches wide, two and a half inches tall because it was cut and it was stuck onto a wire that was hanging from the ceiling in front of the targets and I hit a balloon and I was happy that I hit a balloon and then I went after this piece of foam sticking there and I shot a few arrows and then I had a moment of expressive joy inside of myself as I shot my arrow and watched it fly towards the target and it hit the foam and the foam started to move. It didn't pierce the foam, because I think it's a bit, we have pretty dull, you know, camp arrows anyway. But anyway, it, it hit the foam, and I yelled, and I was really excited. That was moment one. The second moment came later in the night. And it was when we were at home, and Natasha came upstairs, and we were kind of getting ready for bed. And she came upstairs, and she looked anxious. And she was 
And she said, like, I'm, I'm worried. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I don't know. You guys could probably, more than shooting at foam and with arrows, you could probably relate to the loss of a phone. Anyway, she was feeling this anxiety inside, and she says, I'm really concerned. Where's my phone? She'd already looked downstairs. And, um, and I told her where my phone was, and then she said, oh, what if I left it at the archery place? And uh, that would be just horrible. The archery place is not in any of the directions we normally go. And she doesn't want to have to go there. And so with that anxiety, she, I told her where my phone was, and she went and got my phone. She called her phone, and then we stood there, frozen. And I was kind of like annoyed in my head because she has one of those soft rings that doesn't really pierce, you know what I mean? And every time she loses her phone, not that it happens that often, oops, uh, that she, uh, it will, you know, we're always kind of trying to hear this soft ringtone, right? I want to change that ringtone. We never will probably, but I do want to. Because of these moments that we still sat, and I actually went out of the bedroom and I went to the hallway and I stood still and she's like, don't breathe. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, how long does it take when, before, between when we call the phone and when it actually starts ringing? And then we heard it downstairs, the quiet ringing. And Natasha comes out, much like a beagle, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and she's, her head goes this way, her head goes that way, just like a dog trying to sniff out a rabbit. And then she looks downstairs and she runs downstairs and she's already excited. And uh, she's got this big grin, and then she comes back to the bottom of the stairs, and I'm at the top of the stairs, and she's holding the phone in the air, and she's got this huge grin, and she like bounces up the stairs, and she's just like, I'm so happy, and then she's like, she's literally jumping in front of me, like jumping with her phone, like so excited, and I had already been thinking about what I was going to talk about today, and here is this expression of joy standing in front of me. And so I was actually watching, almost like a scientist, to see like, how long would it last, and uh, how serious would this joy expression be. And she had this huge grin, and she bounced into the bedroom. And I, was like, I, and I thought to myself, that was the most joyous moment of the day. That was the biggest expression of joy. And it was my birthday, and she's the one who had the expression. Oh, was it? She was elated. The primary reason for joy, there's many reasons, but the primary one, and I think and the one that in this case would be the most biblical with the stories that we're talking about, is actually the relief of suffering. It's very interesting. The relief of suffering. The resolution of tension. Any good storyteller knows this. The resolution of built-up tension brings emotional responses including joy. And this is why when you think about the stereotypical understanding of heaven, which is a whole topic on its own, normally pe people feel this in instinctive feeling of boredom. They feel like heaven will be good for a moment and then boring because there's no, and you, maybe you can't put your finger on why, but it's like there's no tension. There's no lost phone. And eventually people will feel bored, won't they? Well, that's a whole topic. I'm not going to get into that. So even though people want to get away from pain and they don't normally volunteer for difficulty, we instinctively know that if you had no challenge, you would be bored. You would be bored. It's actually why in my sessions with people, 
I'm often advocating for pain. You don't have enough pain in your life. That's why you're depressed. Uh, what does that mean? You need more challenge. Today I want to talk about this moment when heaven breaks in. It's very rare for, for joy to break in from heaven like it did that day. For multiple people to be able to see the same, I mean, people now hear angels sometimes, they sometimes hear singing, they sometimes see angels, but for multiple people to have the same vision at the same time with the same sound is very rare. Very rare. And there's this moment above the shepherds where this comes in. And I believe, in some ways, we've relegated this to, well, of course, Jesus came, so that's why. So you can't really understand it, but I believe that you can actually understand this moment even better than that. It's what we want, right? We want heaven to break into earth. And this is a moment where heaven breaks in, rips open the sky, and says, Oh, sorry. <laughs> Need Margaret for it. Oh, the celebration of Jesus' birth. So let's read it. I know we read it already, but... I can always read the Bible. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping the watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will, bring, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Wow, I almost can feel the memorization. I never memorized this, but I can... Read it easily. We've read this before. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. It sounds so normal, but it's not normal. It's not normal because heaven has broken into the earth, and I said that already, but this is not normal at all. Why would heaven break in over a child in a feeding trough who is suffering? We've had already extreme suffering in this circumstance. Mary was thought to be having an affair. They were riding on a donkey while pregnant. They were cast aside and put in this feeding trough, probably with their family, but still, it's this suffering moment. And it's strange to hear angels rejoicing over it. It was not comfortable. And normally, we associate comfort with joy. And if you zoom out a little bit more and not just think about that moment, it's strange and odd and perhaps inappropriate for angels to be singing and for there to be so much joy over a man who was going to be executed, over a man who would have a suffering life and die painfully. And this is the moment when, when heaven opens up and there's joy. There's a certain kind of joy that's valued in our culture. It's called comfort. We like comfort. I like comfort, and I believe God likes comfort, so I'm not against it. I think I have a little bit of Greek or Norwegian in me. Like, I have a little bit of that, like, Norway spirit. There's a place in Winnipeg that's called Thermea. It's a mythical 
place, you know, uh, a wondrous place, fairly new to the city, gaining in popularity. You now need an appointment. And it's this Nordic spa, and they have pools outside in the snow. They have cold pools, which I don't go into. They have lukewarm pools, which I also avoid. And then they have warm, hot pools. Well, one, big one. And they have saunas, dry saunas. They have steam rooms. They have a tea room. They have a restaurant. They even have a place where you can go and sleep. They have a place with mats where you can go and sleep, which I did one time. It's kind of odd. And you walk around in your bathing suit and in a robe, and it's comfortable. To some, it sounds like heaven. To some, it sounds like the other place, the not-so-nice place. You know? uh, but for me, it's kind of a comfortable, heavenly place where I enjoy it. And it produces joy, but for a short time, a relatively short time. Now, some people can spend more time there and milk every drop of comfort out of that place. And we have tried to extend our time there, because once you pay to get in, you're kind of like, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to spend time here. Can you? There's no time limit other than the closing. So you can spend a lot of time there. And some people can spend more. But what sounds like heaven can turn into hell. Like if I said that you were in Thermea and you could not leave, you can eat all you want, you can go to the bathroom, you can... You can go into all the spas, you can have everything you physically could need. Eventually, and it wouldn't actually take all that long, I think after hour four or five, most people would start to suffer. You would really enter into a different kind of experience, even though your body is extremely comfortable. Because earthly comforts only last for a short period of time. And again, this is why heaven sounds boring. It's turned into torture after only hours. And I know for some people it's torture right away, but even for people who like it, it's torture very quickly. So again, the joy of comfort's real, but it's not the joy that breaks in to earth over Jesus' birth. The angels don't come in because Jesus is in a spa. It's not comfort isn't what attracted heaven. When I sit in Thermea, there is a time, there is an initial moment where I do feel heaven open up over top of me. It does happen as I slip into the pool for the first time and I can feel the joy, but heaven doesn't actually open up in that moment. It's not the thing that brings heaven in that way, even when it, sometimes it feels that way. It's not joyous over comfort and it's actually not joyous over suffering. So why is this happening? Why is Jesus being rejoiced over when he's going to have this terrible time? You can't understand the joy over Jesus' birth and life without being prophetic, without having some understanding of the prophetic, which most Christians have. It's because of a future reality. It makes no sense without the benefit of the future. Simeon was sick uh, this week. He, was, he had a fever. He wasn't feeling well. It actually lasted a few days. And our backup supply of all of our medicines actually ran out about Thursday. And I got a message from my office manager and a text and an email and a phone call uh, to make sure that I got medicine on my way home. And uh, so, I, after one last reminder from my office manager on my way out, I said, I know, and I 
head to Walmart and I picked up some dye-free medicine on my way home and brought it in and there was some joy. There was some joy that I had remembered because as you can see from all the reminders, I don't always remember. Uh, especially the transition from work to home or home to work, I really have trouble remembering those things. And so I did bring it home and there was some joy, but it wasn't actually joy about the medicine. It's not joyful to take medicine. It's joyful to get better. Right? We, we so closely link medicine with getting better that we forget that we're not actually joyful about medicine. If I got Buckley's, I'm not joyful about the medicine. I'm joyful, even though I'm going to have to take this medicine that doesn't taste very good. Simeon's medicine tastes wonderful. They want to get sick, and is all wanting to get sick all week because of it. But if, I was, if it was Buckley's, I'm not joyful about the medicine. I'm about the Advil reducing Simeon's fever. I'm, I'm believing in a future. It's perhaps not spiritually prophetic, just you know, medicinally, physically predictive, but it's a predictive joy over what's to come. So when Jesus comes down, it's like Cyrus bringing the Advil. When Jesus is in, the, is in this trough, I'm not joyful about the fact that Jesus is on the earth. It's kind of sad that he had to come in the first place. It's sad that we're sick. It's sad that he has to suffer and die on a cross. If I was just to look at the reality, it's horribly sad. In many ways, it's our fault. But we're happy because the Buckleys has arrived. The Buckleys has arrived, and we're going to feel better soon. The other thing about it, the joy that we experience when we think this, it's usually not, I don't believe that when people read this story and they experience joy at hearing the, the shepherds uh, see the angels and the angels appear, I don't actually think it's because we're understanding the prophetic joy of Jesus' arrival. I actually think it's because we have over our lives associated this story with lots and lots of eggnog and cookies. Every time you hear that story, it's Christmas time. And Christmas time is a time when we get lots of sugar and hugs and good feelings and family. Sometimes people have negative experiences and maybe they then not, are not experiencing that joy at all. But it's actually a tradition. It's a traditional joy. It's, a, it's an associative joy with the time. And it's not actually because Jesus is coming. It's not because it's pierced the atmosphere. It's not because the medicine is here. And it's certainly not because we appreciate what it's unto, at least not most of the time. Now, there's two other, two other, two or three other times when heaven breaks into earth with joyous, joyous hallelujah. And the second one is even more confusing than the first. It's Revelation 5, 8 to 10, and I'll read that too. I think that by understanding all these times when heaven breaks in with joy, now I know it's always joyous in heaven, but there are these times when it breaks in. In Revelation 5, 8 to 11, it says the following. Within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one on heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twelve saints, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of a kingdom and priests to your God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I saw around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, and thousands upon thousands, saying with one, with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. So again, it breaks into the earth just like with the angels and the first coming of Jesus. In heaven and on the earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in, uh, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the second big proclamation of joy that pierces the sky. And it is strange, because do you know what's in the scroll? Horrible things. Horrible things. I challenge you to read all of them. The scrolls and the trumpets and the bowls are judgment upon judgment upon judgment on the earth. And these angels are singing glorious, and it breaks in, and all the creatures are singing Blessed is he who can judge us. Blessed is he who can rain down fire and kill thousands of people on the earth. It's not quite as dire as the first coming. It's more dire, but it's similar in the sense that there's this joy over suffering that's happening on the earth. The first one is Jesus being executed. The second one is everybody being judged. First one is Jesus being judged for us. The second one is everybody else being judged, and not Jesus. And Jesus actually being the one who starts it, who opens that door for this judgment upon the earth. What a time for heaven to be opening up and singing joyous songs. And it was because Jesus had conquered. I remember when I got a letter, I had a scroll in my hand. I remember uh, sitting, it wasn't a real scroll, it was a letter, modern scroll. And I remember sitting in my car in the driver's seat, and I, was, I can remember it so vividly. I can remember it was in the parking lot of the university, and I was facing away down the street, and I was just sitting there staring at it, and it had the university colors, and, and uh, it was the culmination of years and years of work. It's actually harder to become a psychologist to get into graduate school than it is to get into medical school. 
there's much fewer, many fewer psychologists than physicians, and there's lots and lots of people who apply. 300 people apply, probably more now, and one person gets in in a year, maybe, maybe sometimes a few more. And this was the letter telling me if I was going to get in, if all the work that I had done, if I had conquered. I opened the letter, and I mean, you know I'm here as a psychologist, so you know that I got in and I did get in. And the feelings that I had were hard to describe, even in that moment, and they were hard to express. It was a confusing jumble of different feelings in that moment. And it makes you wonder a little bit, if we're created in God's image, what Jesus would have feel when he's opening his scroll. When he's opening his letter, saying that he had conquered, that he had been successful, that he could open up the next chapter in his life and be counted worthy to take that step to take his place that was destined for him, to be pictured there as a lamb slain, and to be given the destiny of his being slain in his hands, and to be able to open that up and have that authority being given to him as a conqueror. It's a prophetic joy. There's no joy over the destruction of the earth, over the judgments that are given to its people. There are two ages. There's many more than two ages, but at least, and in his mercy he is long-suffering. So this is a long age. It's a long one, and we're suffering through it with all of the mercy of the Lord and all the suffering that goes along with that of having to put up with evil in the earth for long periods of time and trying to stand up under a time when goodness, God's goodness, is persecuted. When the people of God have to labor to love. The second age is very short. I would argue that, I mean, some people even lump it together with the next age, with the big age, but I think there's a little small age in there which is an age of judgment, which is quite short because it's so horrible. This is the age of mercy when everybody says, how could God allow suffering? In the next age, there's going to be a very short age, a few years, where he's going to answer that question. How could, right now we say, how could God allow evil? And in the next age, we're going to be saying, wow, he really doesn't like evil. And he's going to sweep evil right off the earth in a few years. He's going to take the broom, and he's going to clean it up. And he's going to do it somewhat slowly, not in an instant, because then there'll be an opportunity for even more people to repent. And in that judgment, he is going to be expressing his desire to have a people who can love without any hindrance. He is going to be expressing his desire to have an earth where God's people are no longer suffering, no longer having to have the kind of faith that we have now, no longer having to be persecuted, where love can go unhindered. So the joy that they have when that scroll is opening isn't over the destruction of the earth, but again, it's a bigger Buckley's. It's a bigger medicine. It's the medicine of evil being cleaned off the earth. The first, the Jesus is coming, is the, is the promise of forgiveness and mercy. The second one is the promise of righteousness and justice. Justice on the earth. 
So it's not long after, it's only a few chapters later that we have the third big celebration because that age is quite short. It's only a few years of judgment. And then we have the third celebration, which is the fall of Babylon, Revelation 19. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Finally, at the culmination, the pinnacle of God's judgment of the seals, the bowls, the trumpets, everything is done and Babylon is destroyed. And the smoke goes up forever and ever. The unfolding of justice on earth. It's no longer at this point prophetic. The first two times when the angels appear, they're prophetic joy. It's joy over what's coming. And this time with Babylon in ruins and being in the smoke of her fall, going up into heaven, we don't have prophetic joy anymore. We have actual health. We have a child rising out of the sickbed. And it's interesting because in the first two, when the angels appear to the shepherds and when the angels appear on the earth and all the earth is praising, you have this heavenly intervention and confused people in both of them. You have people being confused. The shepherds are confused. Why are there angels here? Why is this happening? It's just a regular night. And they're saying, there's something special that you don't realize. This is a prophetic thing and you're going to understand it slowly over time. The angels, the angels are proclaiming joy over the scroll, and it's like, yeah, but the earth's being destroyed. We don't get it. So many people are going to be offended. I don't want us to be offended when the, when the judgments come. I don't want there to be a people who are offended, but they will be so offended because God is going to look so different in that moment. But there's going to be this prophetic proclamation again, just like the shepherds saying, if you understood what was happening, really understood, you would sing with us. But in the third one, it's no longer prophetic, and it's no longer the angels singing. In the third one, they don't have to sing for us, because in the third one, we are the ones singing with Jesus. We've actually gone past the prophetic. We now have full revelation of what's actually happening in the earth. We're not having to be told. And in Revelation 19... They hear the great multitude like the roar of many waters. And I've preached this before. The roar of many waters is a picture of Jesus' voice. We sound like Jesus in that moment. We have the voice of roar, like, that roar of many waters in our mouths. And we sing, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The primary power of joy in the Bible, the kind of joy that penetrates the atmosphere, that can't be contained, that's celebrated by every creature, is justice completion. The end of suffering. It's relief. When Jesus was born, heaven split open. And there was a down payment, just a very small drop of joy. For us, it was enormous for, for actually joy to, to split the skies, but it's just a small drop of prophetic joy, this prophetic symbol of something greater than, a promise of hope to come. And at the next stage, there's going to be another proclamation of joy when Jesus opens up the scrolls and he is preparing to take his place in his throne and do everything that needs to be done in order to make that happen. So God's people are no longer per persecuted. And then at the end, when joy is complete and it's no longer prophetic, 
his people are prepared, they can actually enter in, and it's no longer prophetic, it's no longer partial, and nobody's having to worship for us. We are actually coming to the earth with Jesus as a great multitude, worshiping and sounding just like him. We can have the worship team come up. When we have joy, if we want to understand joy that surpasses all understanding, a joy in suffering, the joy that Jesus and God ask us to have in this life when we're in pain, we need to understand prophetic joy. Because joy in our circumstances, joy in every circumstances, makes no sense. Not on its own. We need to understand it prophetically. We're joyful not because of what's happening to us in the moment. We're not called to be delusional. We're not called to be happy that we're in pain. We're called to be happy because there is a completion coming and all of the pain that we experience is unto something greater. It's unto a, a completion that's coming, a relief of suffering, a finding of the phone, a, a simian who is better. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to walk in this joy prophetically. Help us to see the difficulty, to experience the hardship, and still to count it all joy. Help us to believe in the promise, the down payment. I pray that you would give us that revelation of that fullness of joy that's coming. If you guys could stand. Let's stand together and worship. Let's enter into this prophetic joy together. Uh, I would like you to just imagine yourself with Jesus. I want you to experience the joy not in the suffering, but to experience the joy in the arrival of him. To picture yourself coming with Jesus down to the earth. To picture yourself sounding like him, looking like him given responsibilities according to your gifting, according to the authority that he has over your life and has for you. That is what we have joy over. That is why the angels were singing. It's not over the sickness. They're not happy about pain. They're happy about the relief, the promise that's coming. They're happy about us being with the Father in fullness. So as we sing now, Let's imagine that moment and sing with that joy.